1: You know, guys, for the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called I Am New, Understanding Our Identity in Christ, and and really this whole series was birthed out of your perception of yourself and the realization that a lot of you are living your lives and hanging over you is a dark cloud concerning your past failures, concerning things that you wanted to achieve that you didn't achieve, and really... It really redirected your whole life and your whole concept of who you are and even your concept of how God sees you. And so we decided to, to do this series. We wanted to show you that the ways that we measure ourselves, which are, you know, our, our family backgrounds, our church background, our, our educational level, our failures from the past, your identity is not based on that. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Your identity, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is not based upon how educated you are or how educated you're not. It's not based on how big your bank account is or what part of town you live in. It's not based upon your family background. It's not based upon your you know, your church background, whether you're doing all the stuff the church told you to do or not. It's not even based upon how you messed up. And let's just acknowledge it here right now. We all messed up. There's nobody here that's better than anybody else. Does everybody understand that? That's what's unique about our church. We're all in the same level playing field here. So our identity is not based upon that. Our identity is based upon what Jesus did for us on the cross. He gave us a new identity. In fact, last week when we were in Ephesians, which is where we're primarily been looking at through this series, he told us we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. And so what I want to do today is I want to expand upon that. What what does that mean? I'm his masterpiece. What what does it mean that I am his workmanship? What does it mean that I'm a new person, George? What does that mean? What is the implication of that for my life, and what do I do with that? See, because here's the thing we're used to living with the old concept of ourselves, right? Do you know what I mean? Well, I can't do that because I don't have the education. Or I can't do that because I messed up. And because I messed up, I can never do anything again for you, God. Oh, I can't do that because my bank account isn't big enough. Or I can't do that because of this. And so we, you ever noticed that? We, we tell ourselves we can't do anything. And it's always because of our perception of ourselves. But do you remember what we saw last week in Ephesians chapter two, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus in order to do what? Good works, which he what? Prepared beforehand for us to walk in. God has a plan for you. He wants you to accomplish something in your life right where you're at in Clearfield County. And so we need to understand that. What, what is it? Who am I? And what am I supposed to do? So that's why I wanted to go over now to First Peter. Because in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, Peter kind of gives us a further explanation of what Paul is saying here. He kind of expands upon your identity. He's going to make some statements here as far as who you are as a person. And and we're going to look at those things. Again, we're going to see what's the basis of that. How can we say that about ourselves? But then we're going to see, how do I express my identity? How do I live out of this new person that I am? So let's look, first of all, at verses 9 through 12. Look at what he says here. Chapter 2 of Peter. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now a people of God who had not attained mercy but now have attained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust that war against your soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they have observed, glorify God in the day of visitation. What's going on here? Again, so first thing we're going to notice is our identity, verse 9. We're going to see the basis of our identity. We're going to see that in verse 9 and 10. And then we're going to see how our identity is expressed. So let's talk about our identity. First thing we see there, he says this. You are... A chosen generation. Now, what in the world, George, does that mean? Well, here's what I want you to see. You are a distinct people because of God's initiative. You are a distinct people because of God's initiative. That whole concept there of chosen talks about the initiative of God. You are his distinct people because he chose you. He took the initiative to reach out to you in your life. Do you you understand that? The reason why you're a saved Christian, someone who has trusted in him, is because God first reached out to you. He took the initiative and chose you for a purpose. Now, he uses the term generation. What does that mean? He chose you for a purpose in this generation. Listen to what the writer says about David from the book of Acts, chapter 13. And then we're going to equate that over to where we are because we're a chosen generation for this generation. It says, for David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. Okay, what does that mean, George? King David, remember King David, how great he was? Remember the things that he did? He did what he did by the will of God for what? His generation. His generation. See, here's what I want you to see. You are a distinct individual Christian for your generation right now because God chose you. God, by his initiative, reached out to you so that you could serve him now. Do you understand what I'm saying? For He, we are his workmanship. Remember, because he's got a plan for us. So some of you are sitting there saying, well, yeah, that's great, George, but you know where I work. You know where I live. You kind of know who I interact with. What, what am I going to do? Well, you know what? We've got a wrong concept here. What do you mean, George? You know, our concept of doing things is like we look at Frodo and the ring, and we think that only people like that who, who get rid of the ring accomplish something, or, or Bilbo and the dragon. Dude, you know what I mean? Or whatever your superhero is. That's our cultural concept of accomplishing something. But that's not what it is. Remember I told you the kingdom is like a skyscraper in which thousands are employed in. Maybe you're the wall hanger. Maybe you're the guy that's putting in the phone line. We're all part of it. And so wherever you are in your world, at work, at home, in your family, in your neighborhood, or wherever you live in the county, you're part of this generation. And by the will of God, you're here. He chose you by his initiative, reached out to you when you weren't even thinking about him because he's got a work for you, a plan for you. You're a chosen generation. You are a distinct people because of his initiative to serve him. Grasp that. I mean, we think in terms of, you know, for those who are older, we think in terms of, well, you know, I'll never be a Billy Graham. Well, great. There's only one Billy Graham. You notice he didn't make five because he didn't call five. No, he only called one. He called you where you are. In fact, let me just stop for a moment. Let's use Billy Graham for a second. Has Billy Graham ever been to Curwinsville? No. Is he ever going to come to Curwinsville? No. Whoever is the next preacher that you think of in your mind, or the preacher, do you, are they ever going to come to Kerwinsville? Chances are, no. So, who's going to reach Kerwinsville? You. Who's going to reach your neighbor? Tell them about Jesus. You. I mean, they're not going to be channel surfing at night saying, Oh, I want to listen to that preaching, because you don't. What makes you think they will? Do you know what I mean? You're a chosen generation. Here's the other thing he tells us. Look at the next thing there. He uses two words to describe you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. What's he saying here? You have direct access to God himself. I think we all understand the concept of a priest, right? A priest is one who serves before God. And in the Old Testament concept of it, it is only the priest who could gain access directly to the presence of God, especially the high priest. He's making a point here that you, as a believer, the new you who you are, you have direct access to the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to go, you don't have to come and talk to me and say, Hey, George, pray for me about this. You could go and talk to God about it directly yourself. You don't need somebody interceding for you necessarily, you can go to Him yourself. You can go before him and bring before him the things that you have need of in your life. In fact, isn't it interesting that in in Hebrews chapter 4, he says we have a high priest, and, and because of that high priest, which is Jesus, you and I now can what? Enter boldly into the throne of grace to what? Obtain mercy. We can go boldly into God's throne room. When's the last time you barged into your boss's office like that? What was his reaction? The writer of Hebrews says that I can, do the, I can do that with God. Like, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know you got that world thing going on. But here's my problem. You have direct access to God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Isn't that awesome? You were chosen for this specific generation. You have direct access to him. Here's what else he says. And I think this is so awesome. Some of you have got to listen to the third point. Look at what he says. His own special people. What are you saying, George? You belong to God, and are therefore special. Some of you had to hear that. Let me say that again: You belong to God, and are therefore special. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to hear that. You belong to God, and are therefore special. Do you realize that? Saying that to your neighbor right now, you're special. You're special. Some of you don't even feel that. Well, come on, don't tell me that because I don't feel special. It doesn't. Here's the thing about being special. Here's the thing about being special. Being special here has nothing to do with what you feel about it. Because I just don't feel special. Well, big deal. Who cares how you feel? You're special whether you feel like it or not. What do you mean, George? You're special not because you feel special. You're special because God says you're special. Do you understand? And you belong to him. That's your new identity. Do you understand what I'm saying? You belong to God. You're his own special people. It has nothing to do with your feelings. Take your feelings, chuck them out the window. Did you understand what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with how I'm feeling. you got to grasp that. You belong to God. Therefore, you're special. Own that. So many of us, we see ourselves, and you know it's really easy to see ourselves because we've got an enemy who reminds us of all the junk we've done, reminds us of all of our failures, and he comes to us and says, well, you know, how can you be special? Don't you remember what you did? Some of you are thinking that right now. Well, I can't be that special, George, because you don't know what I did. You're right, I don't, but God does. And here's what he says to you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he says. You're special. He wipes that clean. Are you going to own that? We've got to own it. We've got to start living with the identity that we have. We, we are his workmanship. We're his, his masterpiece. We're, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. You know what? If if all you did this week was just think about those few things as far as your identity, you'll, you'll be a different person. You'll be a different person. And again, so then notice now, verses 9 to 10, he tells us, how do how we get there? How, 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 do I, how can I be all that, George? Well, he keeps telling us how. Look at what he says. That you may proclaim the praises of him who what? Called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Here's what I'm saying. God called you out of darkness. It's God who made you that. Again, it has nothing to do with you. Because if it had something to do with us, it wouldn't be true. Because we can't do it. Do you know what I mean? We can't do it. First, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever changed your perception of you that other people have? How many of you are successful at doing that? Nobody's raising their hand. Because we're human beings. It's pretty hard to change someone's assessment of you or perception of you, right? Especially if you messed up with them. Because we're the people who what? Write people off, right? But see, here's the thing God doesn't operate the way humans operate. He's not human, he's God. And what he has done is, is he's chosen, in our instances, in our cases, to overlook, to forgive our sin and to forget them because of what his son did for us. And he called you out of what? Darkness. Remember when I told you it was by God's initiative, right? You're chosen. He called you. Here's the other thing he did. Look at what it says there who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What's he saying here? In spite of us, he made us his people and showed us mercy. In spite of you. In spite of you. So before anybody thinks here, well, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good, George. If you really knew who I was and really knew my my pedigree and if you really knew uh, my my education level and you knew how good I'm doing at work and everything, you would understand why God would love me. No, because I just listened to you. And that's arrogance. And that's not a reason to love you. But see, God loves you in spite of you. In spite of you, in spite of your background, in spite of your education level, in spite of your moral failures in the past, in spite of everything, he what? Made you his special person. And he showed you mercy. In spite of you. Isn't that awesome? See, here's the thing. God doing all of this, you've, if you don't walk out of here with any truth today, you got to walk out of here with this one. God doing all of this, making you a new person, giving you a new identity, someone who belongs to him, a special person, showing you mercy. If you don't walk out of here with anything today, you've got to grasp this one point. It had nothing to do with you. When are we gonna grasp? When are we gonna let that sink into our minds and our hearts? The love that He showed us in making us a new person had nothing to do with us. Has to do with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? His acceptance of us is not because of us. So, guess what? There's nothing you could do to mess it up. Well, you don't know what line I cross. Yeah, forget it. Who cares? It's not based on that, it's based on Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's the one who called you out of darkness. He's the one who made you a people. He's the one who showed you mercy. Gave you a new identity. But with that comes responsibility. You know what I mean? Being a part of God's family has a responsibility. Having a new identity has a responsibility. Now, he's not saying to you, if you do this, you're going to die. He doesn't say that. He does promise to take you to the woodshed, though. But here's what he does. I want you to look with me. Let's read it together, and then I'm going to bring out the two points. Here's how your identity is expressed. Look at what he says. Beloved... I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Let me just stop. What does he mean by that? Sojourners and pilgrims. He's he's wanting you to realize your new identity, part of your new identity is you're only here temporarily in this world. Okay? We're only here temporarily. So beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And then he goes on, and having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Here's what he's telling us, two things. What are they? Number one, don't feed the corrupted desires that spiritually defeat you. Look there, right there, look at, look at verse 11. Beloved, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Whose soul? Your soul. You know what I'm talking about the thing that you struggle with. I mean, we just did a whole series on temptation, right? Temptation arises because of what? It appeals to our what? Corrupted desires. So here's what he's saying. Because of who you are now, the new you, don't feed your desires that defeat you spiritually. Don't feed it. Don't feed it. Stop watching the things that you're watching if it's feeding the desires. Quit reading the stuff that you're reading if it's feeding the desires. Quit listening to the stuff that you're listening to if it's feeding the desires. Do you know what I mean? See, we have a responsibility for that, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've been I've been a pastor. I've been a pastor a long time now. I've been a Christian For almost 30, and listen to me, I've noticed, because I'm there, we're all there, okay? He's talking to both of us here, okay? We think we're okay just because we're saved. We think we're all right because we know the Lord, and so the heaven thing's taken care of, and he forgives, and so we don't change anything in our lives, even though we know he calls us to. And let me just stop for a moment. You say, well, you mean the stuff the preacher tells me to do? No, I'm not talking about the stuff the preacher tells you to do. I'm talking about the stuff the Holy Spirit says to you in your heart. And it screams into your mind, don't do this. Don't do that. It's not what some preacher said. Not what some church rule was. It's the simple things that the Holy Spirit says to you when he says to you, don't go down that path. That's a path of destruction. But we continue on. And we'll make excuses and say, well, I'm not living in legalism anymore. I'm not living under these church rules and stuff. No, no, no. Well, I'm talking about just doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And what he's telling you to do is don't feed it. Don't feed the things that so wipe you out and destroy you. And let's just, let's just remind ourselves of something. Isn't that the reason why we have poor understanding of who we are? Because when we give in to those lusts and feed those lusts and we give in to the things that spiritually defeat us, we oftentimes will what? Fail. So we're back to the circle again of looking at ourselves based upon our what? Failures. Failures. So, I mean, so the first thing he's telling us here, if I'm going to express my new identity, I'm not going to feed my corrupted desires. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to feed it. Here's the other one. Verse 12, choose to live honorably before the lost world. You've got to choose to live honorably before a lost world. you got to choose. In fact, let's look exactly what he's saying here. Look at what it says. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Now, who's the Gentiles? That's everybody else in our culture, folks, because you're Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. So you have your conduct among non-believing people honorable so that even when they accuse you and speak against evil against you as evildoers is what it's saying here, They may glorify your good works, which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. What's the day of visitation? In the end, the scripture very clearly tells us that in the end, your enemies, those who spoke evil against you, will come and acknowledge you. They may not acknowledge you now, but one day they will. And they will acknowledge your good works then. We were wrong. We spoke against your servant, Jesus. We saw them do this. And we spoke against them. That's what's going to happen. But you got to live right before the world. And again, again, it's not what some preacher told you how to live. Okay, I mean, used to. I mean, I understand. I grew up in. I grew up in church, and you were told not to go to certain restaurants simply because they had this or that or another. Or you weren't told to go to the movie house. You know, isn't it interesting though. We've told not to go to movie. They're making a whole lot of movies for the church to go to now. Uh, you weren't supposed to go to the movie house. You weren't supposed to do this. You weren't supposed to read the Sunday comics. Why do they put them in the Sunday paper? You know, I mean, it, and, and so yeah, it's all that stuff. I'm free from that, George. Yes, you are free from that, but I'm gonna tell you what you're not free from. What the Holy Spirit tells you to do. What the Holy Spirit tells you not to do. You're not free from that. And can I, can I say this to you? If you're a believer in Jesus... He is telling you something. So live your lives honorably before a lost world by just being obedient to what he tells you to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, What kind of stuff would the Holy Spirit tell me? Change your attitudes. For some of you, it might mean quit being a grump. Some of you, it might mean controlling what you say to other people. How you speak to other people. Some of it may be how you live your life and whether or not you're doing the right thing or not. The Holy Spirit, if you know him, is speaking to you about something. I have not talked to anybody yet and and said to them, "What's, what's God telling you? What do you need to change your life? Everybody comes up with something that they know God's telling them to do. You don't need no preacher to tell you that. He's already telling you that. Live honorably. Well, how can I do that, George? Because you're new. The old has passed away. You're a chosen generation. You're his workmanship. He created you for a purpose. He took into account all of who you are, your idiosyncrasies. He created you for a purpose. Live for him. Let it be expressed. How much different will our world be if everybody who said there was a Christian lived like they were a Christian because they did what the Holy Spirit told them to do? Do you know what I'm saying? What the Holy, not what the church said, not what, some, not what I say, but what the Holy Spirit told them to do. How different would your world be I know how different you'd be. I know how different I would be.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web